Welcome to another interview today on Hashing It Out. I'm Dr. Corey Petty. Today we have Mr. Ed Gard from Status. Uh, welcome to the show. We're going to talk a lot about kind of um, where Status came from, where it's going, what it's been up to over the past year. So, Ed, why don't you kind of lead us in and tell us um, what you do at Status, what you're up to, what's been going on, and we'll just take it from there. Yeah, thank you for um, inviting me on today. Um, excited to be here because for the last uh, two, two and a half years, we've been uh, busy working, designing and building. Um, we haven't really told anybody um, about what we've been doing. Um, and uh, we're finally at the point where we can um, start sharing some details and talking about the cool stuff. So, yeah, excited to uh, start communicating again and uh, looking forward to uh, seeing uh, what people think about what we've been building, what, what we're up to and uh, where we're going. So uh, last, yeah, go I was going to jump in. Uh, so last, last I played around with the um, status mobile and desktop clients, um, things were a little bit uh, janky, so to speak. Uh, how have they come along, you know, thus far and, and how does, how does everything look now? Yeah, so um, which which status mobile client were you using? Um, because we've got the uh, old version that's in the App Store, um, but then there's the uh, new version that's on GitHub that we're busy building up, working and building. Um, and uh, yeah, yeah, is it the the old app or the new app? I'd have to look. Let me let me look. I'll, I'll answer that question. Probably the old one. Probably the old one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The um, well, the old the old mobile app. It's an old mobile app. Um, yeah, the fruits the fruits of our labors are um, going to be uh, going going live with the new website. Might be live by the time uh, this this goes out. Um, and yeah, it's I mean, where 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 to start? Um, it's a big redesign of the app. Um, there's a lot of enhancements to the uh, functionality app. Um, under the cover, we've made some big strides. You know, we've shifted over to uh, Waku 2. And I think probably one of the biggest things with the new mobile app um, is it solves some new sets of real problems for users. And I think some real um, problems for the whole crypto ecosystem. Um, the TLDR of the uh, chat functionality part of the app is... I think the best way to describe the chat functionality now is like a decentralized um, privacy first kind of something like Discord, um, but with like crypto functionality built in from the ground up with you know token gating, token minting, airdrop tools, things like that. And um, what we're hoping is to give um, yeah give 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 the crypto community an actually decentralized communication platform. Like people talk about DAOs, you know, decentralized autonomous organizations. Um, but how is that decentralized and autonomous if everything is taking place on Discord, which is a centralized service, which uh, can switch off a DAO, you know, at a flick of a switch. Um, same for DeFi, et cetera. Um, so yeah, uh, I see you've been using 1.204. Yeah, that's the old legacy app that, um, really shows where we were at about two, two years ago, um, before we started on this new effort. And, um, yeah, the, the new, the new mobile app is, is a new world really. Yeah. I'm, I'm relatively privy to a lot of this. Me and, me and Ed talk quite a bit in terms of 
what's going on, how things work. So I, I, I would take the, like, I'm, I'm curious, like, why don't we take a step back? And for those who maybe haven't been around long enough to know what status is, because we've been quiet for so long, what is status? Like you just said, it was kind of a centralized interface to, to Web3. But what's the, do you have like an underlying, when you, when you think about building status, what do you think? What, what's, the, what's the point? What's the main driver or main audience for people? Um, good, good question. Um, I think maybe I'll start off with kind of the ultimate goal that we're heading towards um, and then kind of like move backwards to kind of like where we are now because it's, it's going to take many years and uh, many iterations to get to the ultimate goal. So the ultimate goal is um, to bring uh, basically freedom to the world or bring freedom to the internet. Um, and to do this, you know, blockchains are one, 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 one part of it, but we need true decentralization. And um, status ultimately aims to be a uh, super app, kind of like a uh, OS um, that uh, truly decentralized apps can run inside in a truly decentralized way um, without using centralized infrastructure and um, in a way that really makes them shut down proof. Um, and so there is this kind of like free virtual space in cyberspace where people can, you know, interact with each other, transact with each other, organize, experiment with different forms of governance, do all of these fun things. Um, but in practical terms, let's like look at where we are today. So we, we have ADAPT today. And ADAPT today is you've got a smart contract living on a blockchain and you've got a UI, um, which, you know, is often hosted um, somewhere centrally. And on the blockchain side, um, you know, the uh, dirty secret of blockchains is um, everybody's using RPC endpoint services like Infura and stuff these days, which really actually isn't that decentralized. Um, so what do we need to like make truly decentralized apps? Um, so there's the blockchain for the business logic and the coordination and a blockchain that ideally can be accessed without going through um, centralized endpoints. Um, you need a messaging layer, um, not just for human to human communication, but also for machine to machine messaging and coordination. Um, you need a storage layer um, and a, a truly decentralized storage layer um, where there isn't anything. Um, there aren't any centralized bits like you don't have to pay a centralized entity to like pin stuff like uh, IPFS today and perhaps for some applications. You also need a, a decentralized compute layer for more uh, compute heavy items. And once you've, once you've got these, these elements together, you can actually build a DAP that's actually decentralized um, that can do anything you can do in uh, Web2. Um, now, how do you run this DAP? Because to do this in a decentralized way, you need all these backend node services to live somewhere. Um, in an ideal world, these would all be baked into an operating system. They'd be in Windows and they'd be in OS X. And, um, but that's not going to happen until we've already won. I mean, they're going to be the last people to integrate this. Um, 
So we're doing the next best thing, which is building a super app or aiming to build a super app, which is uh, the uh, platform that contains, that will eventually contain all these node services. So truly decentralized blockchain access, truly decentralized messaging layer access, truly decentralized storage layer access. Um, so people can run dApps um, and take advantages of these uh, node services running locally on their device so they're not relying on centralized infrastructure. Um, so yeah, that's that's the end goal. It's pretty ambitious. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, that's many, <laughs> that's, many, many years in the future. But that's that's like the ultimate end goal, I think. I mean, to be fair, that's always been the end goal. If you go read the status white paper, that's 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 what it said. So I guess um, you know everyone's got to look at the elephant in the room. Why is it? Why did it take so long? Status has been <laughs> you know it's been it started what twenty seventeen. And yeah. now we're twenty twenty three. That's you know that's a while. That's a while in modern modern times. So what's what, what's the uh, difficulties? Yeah, it's um, even longer in blockchain terms. You know, one blockchain eternity. Is, uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I've got lots of grades. Yeah, well, just using yeah, all my grades came from this industry. <laughs> <laughs> Accelerated aging. Um, yeah, well, we, 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 we started off, as you said, in 2017. And uh, originally, you know, we were, we were young or younger and um, optimistic. And we hoped all this infrastructure would uh, be built. And what Status would do is we would just take all this infrastructure that would emerge from the beginning of the decentralization movement and tie it all together into, uh, you know, a consumer app and an experience that could uh, let end users directly uh, do these things. Um, if you go back to the original Ethereum vision, there was um, the Ethereum blockchain, but that was only one of like three pillars of it. There was the Whisper messaging layer and there was the Swarm storage layer. And the whole original Ethereum vision was for these three kind of pillars of Ethereum to enable this uh, you know, the world of decentralized computing. And so we thought, yeah, that's going to get built. Um, you know, we, we can work on the app layer and build something really cool on top of that. Um, turned out that didn't happen. Um, you know, so the, a lot of effort went into the Ethereum blockchain and other blockchains. Um, Whisper was abandoned. Um, you know, no one else was really working on that. So we had to fork Whisper. We renamed it to Waku. We did Waku V1. We learned a lot from that. Um, and then from the learnings, we've been working on Waku V2, which is complete rewrite. Um, yeah. And also on the storage layer, um, you know, that's still an unsolved problem. Many people working on that, um, but hasn't been uh, sufficiently, sufficiently solved to date. Um, so, so we had to take some pretty big, we had to basically go in and build the infrastructure ourselves. And that was, um, took a lot, has taken a lot longer um, than originally envisaged. Um, and the other, the, the other reason it's taken, taken us time is, or two, 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 two other reasons. One is, you know, we will not stray from being decentralized. Like, why, why use a blockchain? I mean, a blockchain is what, five to seven orders of magnitude more expensive than running something on AWS. Why do you spend five to seven orders of magnitude more on a blockchain? Why? 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 Um, and the reason is, 
you know, it's decentralized, it's shutdown proof, you know, this is something you can rely on and no court can say revert a blockchain transaction. That, that property is worth paying that amount for. Um, if you don't have that property, then, you know, just go and use AWS. Um, but this, this like permeates through every, everything we do. Whenever we come to a problem, it's we have to solve this in a decentralized way. And, you know, this, this, this is 10x um, harder. And I can give, I can talk through uh, many, many examples of that. Um, so that's another reason it's taken, taken quite a while. Um, you know, we're solving those, those problems that, that, you know, at the moment it's just uh, engineering effort. There's no, no fundamental blockers. Um, and I think the, the other reason is level of quality as well. Um, so there's, there's like a 10x difference between something that works you know, an engineer can show, okay, I can reach a success state. Um, and having a industry leading, um, smooth, you know, beautiful user experience, um, where everything just works, all failure cases are designed for and handled, um, that's competitive with the best, um, of centralized solutions out there and can compete with those centralized solutions. And, and one, one just, just on that point, I mean, our ambition isn't to compete in the blockchain space um, because there are not that many people who are actually using blockchain on a day-to-day -day basis. There's far more people speculating. But even there's not that many people speculating on the blockchain. There's a whole world out there. And if we don't get the whole world using um, what we're building, we're not going to bring the good goodness that we want to bring to the world. So we are not competing, you know, in terms of... Um, yeah, just add blockchain. We want to deliver an experience that's better than any of the centralized experiences. And people will use that, not because it's blockchain based, not because it's all open source, not because it's, you know, giving them freedom or privacy respecting, but it's just better and it solves the needs that they have. And it's the best solution out there, bar none, centralized or decentralized. And so that level of um, consumer quality is like another 10x effort. I uh, I think it's a good point to elaborate on. You said that like um, <clears throat> building things decentralized first, uh, it's a five to seven x uh, more expensive than just using you know AWS or some other cloud service. Um, help like help describe that to our audience. Why is it more expensive? And then also like where that value proposition that you said, why is that valuable to them? Yeah, of course. Um, so what, I'll, I'll, give an, I'll give an example about why it's more expensive. Um, so with the chat functionality, we have status, you know, think of Discord, but fully decentralized. So one of the things that's important is when a new person joins a, a, like a Discord-like community, we call them status communities, they can access all the history in, the, in that community. And if we want people to migrate from um, Telegram and Discord to using status, we need to provide a way for communities to bring their history from Discord or from Telegram into their new status community, you know, so they're not losing all their dank memes and other things that, uh, you know, they've built up over the years. Um, so, you know, if we were centralized, this is easy. You know, you've got a database running on a server, um, do an export on the Discord or Telegram side. You've got something you can um, import it into. Um, 
but we have no servers. We are not a service provider. All we do is write open source software. Um, so where do we import it into? So we thought about this um, and we came up with a scheme which basically um, inv involves um, embedding a BitTorrent client into our software. So what happens is a community owner will take, take export their history from Discord. Um, they will then import it into their community on their local uh, status desktop um, install. Um, the local status desktop will install will then re-export it from the database um, uh, scrunch it up all into like a compressed binary blob and build a torrent out of it um, if this uh, a link of, to this torrent will then be um, shared with all the members of the community um, over an invisible non-user facing uh, wacky messaging channel um, everybody who's in the community then picks up those links um, they then start, uh, you know, leeching and seeding them to everybody else in the community. And then every seven days, the next chunk of history is pulled out of the database, prepended um, to the uh, torrent, uh, the, the binary blob that shared over torrent. And then the new magnet link is shared around the community. And torrent, if you look at the torrent protocol, it scales really well on most axis. The one axis where it doesn't scale well is the number of torrents. Um, so we had to keep the max number of torrents to one per community, and we didn't want people to always be re-downloading the same data. So therefore, we used the uh, torrent piece size so that each binary blob is perfectly sized to the torrent piece size that's set for the torrent, which means when a new magnet link is uh, shared, um, this is all in the back end, like the user doesn't see any of this. But when a new magnet link is shared, it goes into the built-in torrent client, um, understands that it already has a bunch of the data and only downloads the new pieces. Um, and then the reason why we're prepending is we, and we still need to do this, is then build a FIFO scheme so users can choose how much uh, storage they want to dedicate to storing the history of each community. Um, yeah, I mean, that's one example. We've built an entirely <laughs> decentralized way of like managing community history. That was a lot of work. Um, if we had a server, that would have been trivial. And this is just everywhere, things like this. Um, yeah, so that's like the example of like how you get chat history for yeah. a given community. Like, yeah. I, you haven't really gone into the effort to build um, basically from the ground up, at least when we started, um, the idea of what a community is. Because like the old status, the status that people understand and use, is it was always built off of three main things. You had private chats, like you know DMs. You had private groups, um, which was just a collection of DMs, like technically speaking. Um, and then you had public chats, which was like if I know where to post something, everyone could post to it, and there was no way to like stop the spam. And that's what everyone kind of understood, and it didn't quite work very well. Like, but this community of things you just talked about is something a lot different and it had a considerable amount of work figuring out how to make it work uh in the manner in which you just spoke so like talk a little bit about like that's what that's what gets me jazzed i think when i think about what's upcoming for status and how it fits into the ecosystem is this idea of like actually decentralized communities um and the way we leverage various blockchains and the assets on them to do permissioning and token gating. You talk a little bit about about that. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, 
first to kind of answer the second part of the last question i think it's kind of kind of a similar similar question really you know why do all this decentralization like you know what 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 why you know what value does this bring to communities um i mean i think a good example was uh, wall street bets um a while ago oh, yeah. and there was the whole GameStop thing going on yeah yeah so i don't know if there's any truth to the rumor but um Right in the middle when that whole thing was going on, uh, Discord switched off um, Wall Street Street's Bet Discord server and just instantly it went down. You know, there's still was Reddit was there, but the, the Wall Street Bet's Discord server wasn't there and um, there was nothing they could do. There's no no recourse. Um, you know, the, the rumor, which I'm not I'm not sure if I believe it or not, was that some of the uh, investors in uh, Discord are also investors in some of the uh, hedge funds that were very much invested in GameStop. Um, whether or not that is true, I mean, it doesn't doesn't really matter. Um, the thing is, is that who owns your community? Um, you know, Wall Street Bets seemed to, they, they thought this was their community. They thought they owned it, they'd built it, they'd moderated it. This was, you know, their their collective efforts. Um, but is it really theirs when Discord can just like flick a, flick a switch and shut them down? Same with Reddit. You know, Reddit could have shut them down as well by flicking a switch. Um, so who who really owns it? Um, and you know, that's just like one example. There's there's many 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 other examples, and just the fact that this can happen actually even has a chilling effect on discourse, people self-censor, people start compensating, um, you know, because they know this can happen and they don't want to get shut down. Um, and that's why we are, um, that's why we, we are putting this extra effort to make everything decentralized because that's like, that's like the core USP of our product. Like, you know, Discord exists, Slack exists, Microsoft Teams exists. Um, you know, we don't want to, you know, just build another one of those. What's 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 the point? Um, yeah, we want to build the uh, the platform that actually brings freedom to communities, lets communities control their own destiny, own their own data. You know, have the privacy level they choose, etc. Um, Corey mentioned to me. I don't know if he if you fully answered Corey's question. I think Corey wanted to dig into the technical side a yeah, little bit get more. To it. Okay, um, I always want to dig so like, further and further technical. <laughs> Um, when, when you talk about the dynamic of, of how uh, a community is essentially owning their own, um, data in terms of, and also the resources required to sustain that community. So I assume, you know, like the server owner is running, you know, a Waku node, um, and have, has some sort of, um, method of distributing the resource load as that community scales. Could you talk a little bit about like the technical details of um, how that works? Because Corey mentioned that a while ago, and I'm not. I'd, I'd like to understand that better. Yeah. So, I mean, first of all, there isn't a server owner. Um, yeah, there's the community owner. Um, yeah, we call that the status community owner. Um, so the way the way it works. So there's the. You know, we, we use basically all the decentralized technologies that are out there. You know, we use blockchain, you know, we use Waku, we use torrents. Um, we're going to be using more, more decentralized technologies. Um, so we're really, yeah, uh, <clears throat> yeah, we're, we're a decentralized technology platform. Um, yeah, in terms of how it works, say, on the Waku messaging layer, um, 
so we've got two mainly there, there are two um, types of clients there's relay nodes or oh, that's there's three sorry there's relay nodes um, there's uh, store nodes and there's uh, light push and filter clients um, so the relay nodes are a, a, a true p2p network they are relaying all the messages between them um, SATIS, SATIS desktop nodes at the moment are predominantly relay, relay nodes. Um, relay, relay uses more, more bandwidth. Um, some people don't have the bandwidth to run a relay node, and you probably don't want to run, run a relay node on a mobile device. So therefore, we have a light push and filter nodes. Um, these basically leach, relay nodes kind of put it into our terms, they lead, leach and seed. Uh, to the networks where the light push and filter nodes really only leech. Um, so a community needs a sufficient number of people running relay nodes relative to the number of people running light push and filter nodes. Um, so one, one thing a community owner will be able to do will, you know, will be able to spin up um, some high bandwidth relay nodes um, to help the relaying of messages in their community. Or maybe they're lucky people, you know, they've got a bunch of people, they're all on fiber connections. And um, yeah, you just, you just need to keep the, the, the ratio of relay nodes to uh, light push and filter nodes uh, resource um, in balance. Um, but then there's, there's the, the problem of what happens if someone's offline when a message is uh, sent. Um, and that's when store nodes come in. So store nodes provide uh, basically 30 days uh, data availability guarantee. So that if a message is sent uh, to, to someone, as long as that person comes online within 30 days, then it will be delivered onto them by the store node. Um, for the MVP launch, um, Community owners will uh, need to um, provision um, some store, a store node or store node resource to support their community, um, you know, on a server of their, their choosing anywhere. Um, and we're also looking into working with some kind of blockchain uh, node service providers um, to be able to provide um, this service in an easy to consume way. But this is just like we need to get something to market. This is like a shortcut to get something to market sooner. Um, the WACU team are working on um, de proper, better decentralizing store nodes. And where we really want to get to is where um, everybody who's a status desktop user with like sufficient storage and bandwidth is running a store node. Individually, all of these will be unreliable. They'll be going online and offline. Um, individually, none of them may store the full history, um, but collectively um, building tying that together into a reliable service. Um, that's more engineering effort, hence the uh, shortcut. Um, did that did that answer your question? Yeah, yeah, that did. So I guess you know, what's the what's that magic ratio in terms of relay um, like relay nodes uh, to light push uh, nodes? Ooh, that's a that's a good question. Are you going to have the Waku folks on here at any point? Uh, oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, um, the Waku folks are the best people to ask about that. I know they've they're working on doing a bunch of uh, network simulation um, and things to uh, understand these numbers. Um, but yeah, that, I mean, this what 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 I've, I described there, um, yeah, is uh, yeah is is really to do with the operation of the Waku network. Um, 
But yeah, I mean, Waku isn't the only thing we're using. For example, we're using Torrent. So in, in Torrent, we've got that other model that I described earlier. Um, so yeah, there's many, many things. But the tiered TLDR, the idea is that as long as some people are running status desktop um, and people can run status mobile, you know, our goal is that's all that's needed. And there's no server in the loop anywhere um, is, is, is what we're aiming for. And, and that's see- that much especially for most communities out there um but if i think about my experience in telegram and discord and other all the chat services that i've been a part of and, and currently monitoring all the time uh the total number of people in these things is not that large uh and, and if you think about the total number of people currently active uh trying to consume information within a given community that's even smaller so if I think about the load of a given, so we've done modeling on Waku uh, up for now, basically showing that like a given community can scale to 10,000 active users. Uh, that's quite a bit. And that's just doing some kind of uh, gross estimation of uh, only relay, only people running full relays. That doesn't even take into account all of the smaller resource devices that are relying on those relays, which then amplifies the amount of total number of people you can serve at a time. So I think with just some modest number of relays, you can support quite a few people within a given community. And that's kind of the whole point of the scaling situation is that um, you don't want the growth of a given community. This is something that I tried to ensure was a part of this uh, whole process as we've been working on it is like you don't want the this is a, actually one of the i think reasons why we had to take so long and why it's so difficult is that the earlier status like scaled in such a way based on the way whisper grew that if a given public chat or even public group private group uh got too busy the whole network felt it so like the success of a given small chunk of the network hindered the usability of the entire platform, which is just, you can't scale that way, right? A lot of the scaling effort that's been under, undergone through Waku and, and status adoption of Waku was, was making sure that the growth of a given community doesn't hinder the, the, the overall burden of the rest of the network that doesn't care about that community. And that's a really important feature to have. And, and so you can have uh, so, like, so for all that to say, for small communities, it's not it's not going to be that much of an overhead, and it doesn't matter what the rest of the community is doing or the rest of the network is doing, for the most part, because their success doesn't hinder you. Uh, I think it's going to be able to support a really, really, really large number of people in a really large number of communities just off the bat. But then there's just the ongoing scaling effort, which is mm-hmm. what you have to do for any large service that has to you know deal with a bunch of people in a bunch of different places which the internet still does today but we're just finding an alternative more difficult way to do it with decentralized mm-hmm. services yeah i think i think there's just just to jump in there i mean i think there's something else to point out that uh, waku is a gossip network and um the reason waku is a gossip network is that helps preserve metadata privacy and this this just this is another thing that makes it harder like we're going for decentralization and we're going for privacy as well so these these are like two two hard problems um 
And yeah, for any uh, the the TLDR and a gossip network is if I if I send a uh, message um, traditionally to uh, Corey or somebody, it can be end to end encrypted, so an eavesdropper can't tell, I can't read the contents of the message. But you know, a network level actor can see that I've sent Corey a message, and in many cases, just knowing who sent a message to who. Um, is like even actually more important information is you know is worse information to leak than the content of the message because then you can build up social graphs and things like that um and so the way uh and this is a, a simplification but the way gossip network gets around this is when a message is sent it doesn't have a um you know an address um but the message is encrypted with the recipient's uh, public key um so that Everybody receives a message, but only the recipient can decode it. And only the recipient knows they can decode it. So no one else receiving the message knows who the message was intended for. And this gives really good privacy properties. Um, but obviously, this is really challenging to scale. Um, so getting, you know, to the point where, you know, as Corey mentioned, we can have 10,000 people running relay nodes in the community. This is like, pretty and sending large messages like with pretty large you know message packet sizes um we're aiming to scale gossip networks more than anybody else has this is quite cutting edge stuff and this is hard problems um so it might not sound that impressive 10,000 messages if you're thinking about doing things on servers or in p2p networks that aren't gossip networks but um yeah this is also why it's taken a while hmm so um the infrastructure needed to be built right i kind of feel like you 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 had you were building a a supermarket but there were no roads to get to it right so you know so now you've built this infrastructure but what are some of the pitfalls of infrastructure to use like analogies of you know roads that's infrastructure what you know where are the potholes where's gonna be the, the congestion where's the traffic are we sure we built this infrastructure effectively? Like out in LA, they got an 18 lane highway still packed like sardines. I mean, they got to be doing it wrong. I mean, I'm no, I'm no, I'm no civil engineer, but I'm just, I'm maybe adding extra lanes is not the answer. Just saying. So are you confident that the infrastructure built out by Waku is going to be able to support everybody trying to get to the super app? Um, I can answer that. Go, go for it. Go for it. <laughs> Um, so your example, the roads just talked about, uh, this 18 lane highway in or just Los Angeles, something like that. Yeah. I think they're in LA and Houston and they're packed tight. How successful is LA and Houston? Houston, me, LA on a global scale, a garbage, uh, Oh, see, see what I Let mean? me take like, my own biases see, out of it. See what I Let mean me take here? my like, own biases out of it. They actually like, are very successful cities in the in the grand scheme. Grand this is scheme. the this is the concept of scale, generally speaking. Um, it, it's never enough, but based on what is there, you can build things and build things that make a big difference in the world. So, like everyone who's listening to this 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 podcast knows those two cities, regardless of where they live, more often than not, and. It, you you never actually meet all the demand of everyone for everything, and the moment you expand that the capability to do more, you either um, 
service the demand that wasn't getting serviced, or you create room for new use cases, which then fills it up. And so we're never going to get there, especially if we want to take on, you know, centralized services, because they are by definition more optimized and more efficient for doing things like this. Um, so just meeting the same use case is going to be really difficult, but like, I think we've gotten to a point now where we can start doing meaningful things with the scale of the infrastructure we have today, particularly Waku for, for messaging. Um, but we're never going to get there. We have to keep pushing and pushing and pushing and hopefully either adopting more and more people as we push or enabling new use cases that don't exist today because it's just that the whole ecosystem isn't there today. And we're going to run into situations where you have the equivalent of an 18-lane highway because we tried to do something and push in a given direction, which just kind of meets the end of that direction. We have to come up with something like a monorail equivalent to, to move a lot of people from one place to another. That happened a lot. while All while still maintaining this idea of privacy and decentralization. We could just teleport people. Yeah. So when we get that, we're, we're going to be good. <laughs> like We're not there yet. Yeah. Oh, Jesse, this is awesome. Sorry. Yeah, it's called Brace's paradox. It's the <laughs> it's the the paradox that describes that you can't add more lanes to solve traffic congestion. And it's like a it's a phenomenon that's like in other systems. We yeah. get to learn from those lessons too. We just have to think of it in a different context because we have extra constraints. Like we can't just use a central server and run people through it. We can't just make our server bigger, which is the equivalent yeah. of adding more lanes. So one thing that um that I saw you guys add in for Waku is this concept of um, uh, spam management, which I noticed that in the original status app, uh, the main uh, kind of like channel that you joined or the group uh, had a lot of spam, right? There, there were a lot of people saying, you know, go to this website, free Bitcoin or free Ethereum, and, you know, they're phishing links. Um, can you explain a little bit about uh, kind of what safeguards uh, might be in place uh, to prevent that now? Yeah, and just to start off with talking about that, that problem with the uh, old legacy app you were, um, you're, you're still using today. So we had this feature of um, public um, chats. And uh, the issue with public chats is they were unstoppable with no moderation. Um, like there was literally no way anybody could post in a public chat and there was no way to stop someone posting in a public chat. Um, so what would happen is as soon as any public chat um, reached any level of success, um, a spammer would discover it and uh, start spamming and there was nothing anybody could do. And so basically it was kind of uh, doomed. It, it was like, you know, intrinsically flawed um, because, yeah, one spammer discovers it. It gets spammed, that's the end. It would just happen time and time again. Um, so a lot of what we've built with status communities, um, so actually there, there's two different types of spam prevention. There's network, like messaging network level spam prevention, which is something the Waku folks have been working on. But then there's actually a completely different thing, which is user level spam prevention. And that doesn't happen at the Waku level, uh, the Waku layer, that happens at the status protocol layer. Um, that's another interesting thing we should talk about someday, the difference in the WACU protocol layer and the status protocol layer. Um, but yeah, so the, I mean, the way 
we're tackling spam prevention in safest communities. It's, it's basically the traditional approach, just with a twist that is fully decentralized. So um, somebody, anybody can start their own uh, status community. Um, they are then the owner of that community um, because they've started it. Um, that ownership is actually represented by a token and they can transfer ownership by transferring that token to somebody else. Um, in the future, that can be, we hope will be able, that will be able to be held in a multi-sig so that ownership can be shared between people. Um, and then the owner can appoint um, people to help them with the management, like token masters and admins. And then those token masters and admins can say, you know, anybody can join our community, um, but if you behave, behave badly, we'll kick you or you'll ban you. Or they can say, you know, we, we need to approve all membership requests. Um, and if someone posts something that, you know, is against the rules of that community, um, you know, then the moderators do have, do have the power to moderate it. Um, and I know what you might be thinking, like, hey, that's not free speech. People can moderate, moderate something. Um, but I mean, what we're doing here is we're creating self-sovereign communities. So the self-sovereignty is on the community level and communities can choose what they do. You can have your, you know, your YOLO community. Their belief is like zero moderation. And then you've got exactly the same as we have with the public channels. You can have uh, your community that's, you know, run by a dictator and um, who moderates every third message. Every third message gets moderated just for the lols. I mean, that's possible as well and everything in between. So really, yeah, the spam prevention is the same as you'll have on any Discord. Just with us, it's decentralized. I like the token gating aspect of this. I've always liked something I've always felt like a use was, was, was a real strong use case for blockchains that maybe hasn't caught on yet, maybe with the last year or so, it's this like rise of social fi or uh, however you want to call it. The social aspect of crypto has, has leaned into this concept that the blockchains, which are kind of um, immutable logic-based execution of moving assets around are perfect for doing permission control. Like who has mm -hmm. access to what? And not only so you have you can build up a you know smart contract that explains all these details and who has access to what to what things and how to move them and the logic associated with when they are moved how they're moved and have a lot of strong guarantees that it works that way and it won't be changed or like how it can be changed and an audit of when it is changed smart contracts give you all these things which is perfect for defining who gets to do what within a certain place and using blockchains for assets like for for permission control and access management is a really 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 good use case for building communities right who has access to what channels who has access to what communities who gets to do what within those channels and communities like can you think of a better resource for that if you want to build a censorship resistant way of building a community or at least like a tr at least a transparent one yeah and then leveraging all these assets we have to do it yeah, no, absolutely. Um, yeah, you, you, I th let me d dive quickly kind of into a br like a brief overview of like what we're doing with like communities and tokenization. I think you asked that earlier, Corey, and we uh, didn't didn't get back to that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, to totally agree with ev everything you mentioned. 
So to kind of like how that actually manifests itself in um, the new status applications. So if I'm a community owner or a community token master, I can say anybody who has this asset or this asset and this asset can join my community. Or I could say, for example, anybody can join my community, but then I can put permissions on the channel. So I can say anybody who holds this token or this token, this token can read this channel or read and post to this channel. Um, and even admin permissions, like if, um, if, if you want to assign admin permissions to someone in a community, what you do is you mint a token and then you'd cre create a rule that binds the admin permissions to that token. And then you'd airdrop that token to all your admins. And to do this, we've built token, we've built a bunch of token minting tools for both ERC20s and NFTs. Um, for an admin permission, I would recommend using our tools to mint an NFT with the properties that it's soul bound and it's also remotely destructible. So then you can um, airdrop your admin token to any, everybody you want to be admins. And if you need to revoke those admin permissions, you can then access the uh, remote destruct, destruct function. Um, and the great thing is, I mean, the great thing about like blockchain is permissionless innovation. So we're, you know, supporting, you know, decentralized blockchains, open standards. So it doesn't matter where, you know, where your tokens live, what they are, what else you're doing with them. If you have a token on like, you know, Ethereum or Arbitrum or Optimism, um, you can, you know, find permissions to that tokens and you'll be able to, uh, you know, create airdrop rules to airdrop new tokens to, um, those token holders, etc. Um, yeah, I think, I think there's, there's basically like an, an initial four pillars of this, of the tokenization of communities. There's token based permissions. So being able to bind permissions, a whole range of permissions to, um, what token someone holds. There's the token minting functionality because it needs to be easy for a non-technical user, you know, who's got no, no technical experience at all to like mint these mint, mint tokens to use the system. Um, there's the airdropping functionality. I think kind of in the context of communities, airdropping serves two main purposes. There's to, um, you know, incentivize and build, uh, you know, engagement and participation within an existing community, or also to grow a community and bring people in, um, and, and a bunch of other use cases, actually. And then finally, token retail uh, functionality. So any community can retail tokens. And you put these together, and these are like Lego blocks. You, you know, it's like a buffet. You can choose to use them. You can build your own. You already have your own. You want to rely on, and then you can mix and match them. So you can mint a token, and then you can uh, retail that token. You can say, you know, anyone can buy this token for ten die, and then you create a permission on that token, which says anybody who holds this token can access this content. Um, and now suddenly, you know, you're retailing content in a way that nobody, you know, can't, can't be shut down, works, works across borders. And all the funds from that retail, that can go into a multi-sig that's held by multiple people. Um, and then let's say the community is owned by, maybe it's, you know, it's, it's owned by a couple of people. You can distribute the revenue that's created from that via the airdrop tool. Like, you know, these, these building blocks can be combined in any way. And I think they're going to be uh, super powerful. I mean, the one challenge is getting your head around all the possibilities that it offers. Um, but I hope we're going to put together a bunch of blog articles and kind of like recipes for, um, yeah, various use cases and how they can be achieved with these uh, building blocks. It's not one of those things that's like 
badass is going to do it all right this is like the the the, the foundation and a few examples of common use cases that match what people are used to and some more based on you know the obvious things you can do with tokens and something in a system like this but like the ability to create and innovate on top of it change you know eventually there's going to be a plugin system that allows communities to kind of make their own rules and not rely on status to distribute features that they can then use to build their communities which i think really really opens the door for um, people to build the communities they want leveraging very smart contracts or ways of you know, using tokens and permissioning around tokens jesse you're 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 typing us in our private chat here what are you typing about you're muted you're muted i remember when I was a little kid uh, back in the day on dial-up in a library after school, and I remember I used to play um, in IRC text-based um, RPGs. It would be really cool if we could throw like Doom in a status <laughs> community and then Doom. bind NFTs to like the metadata associated with your character progress, and then like having like some sort of like built-in plugin for Status App where you could exchange like uh, bounties, like have like a shared bounty uh leaderboard between communities for like things to build that's socially driven that would be really cool as well yeah i'm i mean i'm super excited so two things we're going to be doing after like post mvp after launch and two of the things i'm most excited about is the community dap plugin system and the dap chat plugin system um the community dap plugin system um like imagine a status community, like, you know, imagine a discord, you've got all these channels, but some of these channels are like group chat channels, but other channels you click on them and you get a DAP and that can be your, uh, you know, community's voting DAP. It could be a Kanban DAP, you know, it could be a task rabbit style DAP, you know, it can be anything. Um, or you could go ahead, click on a channel and you've got a split view with like a DAP in the top and the group chat underneath. Um, so I'm, so I'm like super excited about that, but. I think it's 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 important to point out that even before that, like we can do a lot of these things when we don't have that because people are doing stuff with tokens. Like this is what DAOs are. DAOs are doing stuff with tokens, building systems, building governance, building voting. You know, DeFi is happening. People are doing things with tokens there, and all of those communities with the status product when we launch before that's built, they can take all of those existing tokens and they can start like binding permissions to them. Um, and basically having a group chat that like directly integrates with the blockchain mechanics that they've already built. And it, you know, it'll just work. Um, yeah, you know, that's, that's the beauty of the blockchain and permissionless innovation. So, um, yeah, the, uh, community, community DAP plugin, super cool, you know, um, uh, that's that's going to be a top priority item after launch, but before launch, um, yeah, don't you know? Don't wait for that to start doing things. If you're doing things for the blockchain and communities, um, Status will be you know the chat platform that just seamlessly interrupts and is decentralized. I got feel I have um, the new website pulled up here. That has yeah, let's kind of, show it off. You cool with that? Yeah, I let's. <laughs> Let's let let's let's save save that for um, another yeah. episode. Yeah, I think I think that's I think so that's, sexy. <laughs> it is. I can't wait. I can't wait. I I know. I know that um, at the moment we're recording this, the, the folks in the design team and the uh, web team um, 
they're literally burning the midnight oil, kind of polishing the last things. Did a call with them yesterday. They fixed uh, 208 issues. Um, in today's release, there's like another 70 they're hoping to get through in the next couple of days. Um, yeah, and they're they're pushing really hard to get it all like you know as beautiful as it can be when it launches. So I want to uh, respect that and um, yeah, let them you know be rewarded for their hard work and their drive to like get it right by showing it once they've uh, done that. Something you haven't talked about. We have a little bit I'm, of time here. I'm looking at how sexy it is. We haven't seen star <laughs> audience. You don't get to see this, but yeah, it is it is 1990. Gives you an indication of why it, why it's taken so long and why nothing has come out because it's it's reasonably it's it's drastically different than from the previous application. But like one of the things you haven't talked about is this. You meant you somewhat vaguely uh, alluded to it was this idea of a multi-chain world and how that's. Uh, somewhat obfuscated or, or abstracted away within the application. Like, what have y'all done to make managing assets in multiple places easier? And we kind of, after that, we start to wrap up. Yeah, well, I mean, I think this is a topic for a whole episode. We we, we can do an hour on this, but I'll, I'll, I'll give like the TLDR of like one of the major problems and what we've done to solve it. Um, so like, like I was mentioning earlier, you know, our ambition isn't to compete in the blockchain space our application is our, um, our you know ambition is to be the application that people who have never heard you know who don't really care about the blockchain use and start to get all the benefits from and to do that we need to make it usable um, so little 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 bit of a story if we go back in time to you know when ethereum was the only programmable blockchain um, if I wanted to send uh, some tokens to Cory it was easy Corey would give me his address. I'd pop it into uh, my wallet. I'd select the token I want to send, the number of tokens, hit send. Corey got the tokens. I mean, you know, that's as easy, if not easier, than using an online banking. All, all, all good. But not quite, because the problem we had was scalability. It didn't scale. And if we want to bring this goodness to the world, we need something, you know, that works for billions of users. Um, so, you know, the whole blockchain community has been busy working on this. Um, you know, with uh, different types of roll-ups and diff different types of strategies. And, uh, you know, we've solved that with the multi-chain world where, you know, you've basically got multiple blockchains. It's effectively, you know, sharding, um, but with, you know, different, different, different groups innovating on uh, what they can do on different shards. And that's, that's great. That buys us the scalability, but this completely breaks usability. So now let's get, go back to that example. You know, I want to send... Corey 100 die in today's multi-chain world. So Corey gives me his address and he says, hey, um, yeah, I'm happy to receive some funds on Ethereum main and optimism. Oh, don't send me any funds on um, Polygon or BSE. I don't like using those. Oh, um, ZK Sync is fine. Um, I don't like StarkNet. Um, so here, we've just lost 99% of the world um, because I need to understand what L2s are for this to make sense. Um, you know, I always think of, uh, yeah, you know, my, uh, you know, 80 year old technophobe mum, if, uh, you know, she can't use it, we're not, we're not going to win and we're, we've lost her there. But let's say I understand, um, what these L2s are. Now I've got two separate information artifacts. I've got the, the address and I've got this list of chains and hopefully I've written it down somewhere. So I've got like, my pen and paper or made a note if I'm organized, um, but A, this is a complete pain. 
Um, and B, if we think of the Maslow hierarchy of needs of value transfer, the most important thing when anybody is transferring value is reliability. Reliability is more important than like speed and cost, which are the two things on the next level down. And this is at a human level, massively unreliable because I can, you know, Corey's given me his address. He's told me which chains he's happy to receive funds on or not. And I can make a mistake. So this is just like error prone. Um, okay. But I know what L2 blockchains are, unlike 99% of the world. Um, and I'm really organized and I've written down all the chains he's happy along with his address. And, you know, I'm going to double check things so I don't make a mistake. But now I've got another problem. Okay, that 100 die I wanted to send Corey, you know, I've got 50 die on Ethereum mainnet. Yay, you know, that's great. But I've got, um, you know, 25 die on uh, Arbitrum. Let's say he doesn't want to receive... Uh, funds on Arbitrum, and I've got 25 die on ZK Sync. So what I now need to do is I now need to go to a bridge DAP to bridge 25 of those die from where I hold them on, on that same address to the chain which Corey's happy to accept funds on. And now, like there's like 20 different bridge DAPs. When you say bridge aggregators, there's many of those as well. And the prices, and most of these are balancer pools, which means the price they'll offer for bridging is changing on a per block basis, which can be like every three seconds or every 12 seconds. So even if I wanted to spend time going and checking 20 of these bridges, it would be pointless because by the time I got back, um, you know, the, the prices would have changed. So now I just have to randomly pick a bridge DAP or a bridge aggregator to use and accept that I'm not going to get the best price for my bridge. And then I need to perform the bridging action. Oh, yeah, you know, we lost that 99% of that in the first step when we required them to understand what different L2 chains are. Now we've required them to understand, you know, what bridge apps are and navigate. So we've probably lost like a good percentage of that last 1%. Anyway, I bridged the 20, those 25 die, you know, to the chain. Um, maybe I have to bridge another 25 die to another chain. And now I've finally got 100 die in my address, in my account, on chains that Corey's happy to receive the funds on. So I go and make three cents. Um, you know, I, I love crypto. You know. I've lost interest by the time you've been able to send it to me. Yeah, yeah, you've lost interest. I, I, I love this shit. <laughs> just 25 I, die. Yeah. What I, what I love about this, what I love about this story, um, it reminds me of those, you ever, like those um, commercials for like, uh, buying things online it's like have you tried to do so and so and this guy's like f like flipping you know just washing up something in the sink and it's like we've got this new toy for you that fixes this this made up situation perfectly but the situation you just went through is not a hyperbolic like you just you just explain the experience of so many people when they try and do something which is why they no longer do it yeah it's it it you you have to make this stuff seamless in a multi-chain world or it's never gonna make it yeah ever there's, there's many things broken in the existing financial system, but the one thing that nobody asked us was, can I manually route SWIFT transactions? Like this is, this is the one thing nobody's asked for. Can they do like, you know, the manual interbank routing process themselves? And yet that's what we're asking people to do in crypto today. And this, this, just, this just won't work. This, this has to be solved. Um, but good news, we think we've solved this problem.
Um, I'll give. I mean, this this is a whole other topic, so I think another episode. But the the T the T the TLDR is basically we've taken an established um, standard um, called EIP three seven seven zero, which was uh, pioneered by uh, the Gnosis folks, um, which basically prefixes a chain short name at the beginning of an address, and um, we've extended that so you can prefix multiple chain short names. So if we go back to that last example, I want to send a hundred die to Corey. With the new status app, Corey sends me his multi-chain address, which is the address with the, the prefixes of the chain. Corey doesn't need to know what a chain is, like just click, you know, show me the QR code or send me the, the, the multi-chain address. I pop that into my status wallet and the status wallet automatically looks when I select the token I want to send. It looks at where my balances of tokens on all of the networks for that account that Sata supports. It looks at all of the networks that Corey's happy to receive funds on for that address. It looks at the gas prices of all of the chains. It looks at uh, the, br the bridging costs at this moment in time across multiple different bridges and a whole bunch of other factors. And it automatically calculates the optimal routing solution to send funds to A from A from A to B. Um, and I just hit send. So I sign the transaction. Actually, in this case, you're signing a, you may be signing a transaction bundle, not just a single transaction. But I hit send and Corey, Corey gets the funds. And so I didn't need to know, and Corey didn't need to know anything about multi-chain to get all the benefits of multi-chain scaling. You know, send the address, enter the address, select the token, enter the amount, hit send, optimal thing happens. Um, yeah. The nitpicky people, um, the naysayers, like you still have the option to fix, to change all those things. Yeah. It's yeah. just a matter of like, like by default, it does a bunch of reasonable things. And this is what you have to do for application development is pick a reasonable default, present that to the user, and in the event they want to change things, they can. Yeah, I mean, our, our principle, our design principle here is progressive disclosure. Um, so if a user wants to like peel back a layer of the onion and go and say, no, I don't want to send funds from this chain or I want to only send funds from this chain to that chain, they can do that. Like everything, you know, can be configured. And if the if the user wants to peel back, you know, another layer of the onion and uh, start playing around with setting manual gas values, they can do that. Like they'll be able to use status users will be able to peel back the, the the onion to go to the root level of what's happening and manually configure everything they want. Um, but we think most people won't do this. Like it's good that people can see it, but when they once they get confidence in it, like who really wants to, you know? There are better things to do in life than uh, manually configure transaction routing. Yeah, I've got too much shit posting to do. Yeah. <laughs> Ed, do we do something you want to talk about? I mean, there's so much to talk about, but um, we're, we're not, we're not going to do it in one go. And um, yeah, so is it, yeah, I just, just it's, it's been great talking about this. I mean, you know, this has been everybody's at Status Lives for the last two years has been building this. And um, yeah, super, super excited to finally get it out there and uh, see what see what folks think. Me too. I've been waiting for this. I mean, I got involved with, with Status early because this is the, this is what I wanted. Like the idea was there. Execution wasn't quite there because I think the reasons you mentioned earlier around like the like infrastructure wasn't up to snuff yet. The ecosystem hasn't expanded. Um, 
it was really hard to see like the direction that the larger ecosystem would go so that status could take a strategy that adopted to it well and didn't kind of pigeonhole itself. And I think we're there. I think we're like on track to to take on this idea of people building their own communities the way they want to. And progressively adding new innovations in a way that doesn't kind of put us in a like a small section of the larger community that only caters to a small amount of people or like taking the the fruits of all this labor and, and actually going outward with it um and to people that haven't experienced blockchain or don't care or don't need to care and start using this stuff and getting the benefits of it without um uh, buying into the kind of you know buy some tokens and speculate that's exciting. Yeah, I, I'm going to save my questions um, for when uh, Edgar comes on to the next episode. Thanks for coming on. Looking forward to more chats. And I'm absolutely looking forward to y'all releasing the, the new website and uh, people starting to use this, getting their hands on it. Uh, is, is there anything else you'd like to kind of you want to push people in a given direction? Tell them to start doing something. Can they learn more about you or status? Where do they go? Um, well, check out the new safest website and, uh, yeah. And well, not just the new safest website, you know, we're re restructuring our forums. Um, there's going to be a bunch of places for discussion, um, and, uh, also a bunch of different places, um, you know, to get your feedback and your ideas as well. Um, but yeah, the new, new safest website's a starting point, I think. So, uh, yeah, check, check it out. Let us know what you think. For those who don't know, that's status.app. S-T-A-T-U-S dot A-P-P. -P. It's awesome.